DSO Decision. I am your host, Brian Hanks, dental accountant extraordinaire. I'm here with my co-host, David Cohen, Esquire. David, hello. How's it going? I'm excited to chat with you again. We're on episode seven, David. This is the big one. A lot of dentists think this should be episode number one because this deals with, I joked about my um, God's wheel poem, you know, where do I sit? When can I quit? How much do I get? Well, <laughs> this is the episode, how much do I get? <laughs> and right. when can I quit and all those things? So as we get into this episode, um, a lot of dentists uh, that are considering selling to a DSO, this is where they want to focus. Uh, so uh, the outline for this discussion is we're going to have three main areas of, of discussion around um, employment post-sale. All right. So in the timeline of the deal, you've decided to sell to a DSO, you've agreed to the terms, or you're trying to decide whether or not to agree to the terms. And this is what's in it for you as the doctor in terms of working in the office. So we've got three topics. One is termination. And, and I'll call it termination and duration. Duration meaning how long do I have to work at this DSO? We'll cover pay, and then we'll cover time off, benefits, scheduling, all of that, schedule, schedule stuff. All right, fair enough? Great, look forward to it. Okay, David, um, uh, when you and I were kind of prepping for this episode and I said, hey, you know, what typically comes up? You're very quick to say, hey, termination needs to be right at the top of this list. You said this was the most important piece of the puzzle. What, first of all, what is what do you mean by termination and why is it the most important? Yeah, this is the most important topic in the employment realm in my experience on these DSO deals, uh, mainly because doctors that sell to DSOs are typically doing so for the advantage of staying in their same practice and continuing to do what they love, where they love to do it, while also benefiting from the benefits you get signing up with the DSO. And so it's really critical for that doctor that they stay, and that's really what they're sold by the DSO. But come to find out, a lot of these doctors get the employment agreements, and those agreements say that the DSO can terminate their employment at any time. And so then they sit there saying, well, this doesn't make any sense. You know, they told me from day one that I was going to get to be in this practice, that they needed me in this practice badly, that they couldn't do this without me being in the practice. They wouldn't even buy my practice without me being there. Yet this is what I get in the employment agreement, something that says that I, I can be terminated any time. Okay, so, so I, I hear you saying um, I'm a dentist. I, you know, I want to stay here, but I'm ready to cash out or, or maybe I'm worried about something. I'm, I'm selling to a DSO. Um, I'm not selling to private where I know I'm going to either walk out the door immediately or sometime in the first year, I'm probably not going to be working in this practice anymore. So here I am comfortable with a DSO. And now I pick up this employment agreement and it says I can be fired. What's up with that? And you say what? Yeah. And just to kind of go back to that, I would say, you know, when we talk to people that are considering selling to a DSO, the one thing we ask them is how long are you willing to and wanting to work after you sell? And if it's not long, it's usually not a good fit because the DSO mandates that most sellers stay on working in the practice for a minimum three years, usually five. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like the DSO wants their cake and eat it too to say that you know they can lock in the doctor for the three to five years, yet they can get rid of the doctor when they need to. And you know, looking at it from their perspective, they're making a big investment. They would never want to get rid of the doctor. They have a parallel vested interest in this thing doing well. Um, and so the chances of that happening are extraordinarily slim, but they want that lever because they are now owning the practice and they have an investment and they need to make sure that 
they're doing what they need to do to make sure that investment um, does as well as possible. And so in the unlikely event that a doctor goes off the rails, but maybe doesn't do something as crazy as being terminated for cause, they want the lever to be able to get rid of them. But I think this is really key because, um, you know, doctors want to make sure that they're in the practice. And so like the number one thing for you as a doctor, when you sell to a DSO and you get your employment agreement is to make sure that the termination aligns with what you want to do. Now, okay. you might be a doctor that says, hey, I'm only I'm willing to stay on as an associate, but I'll, I'm only doing that because I have to. If they want to terminate me, no problem. That's great. I would love that. Right. And so occasionally we get someone like that. But most of the time we get uh, the other response, which is this is crazy. Uh, and, you know, they get upset. It's kind of a fairness thing. What I hear you saying is uh, do the doctor um, logically saying, wait, you can fire me, but I can't quit. Is that kind of the crux of the issue? Yeah, that's the crux of the issue. And I would not say that this is the case in every deal, um, but there are some deals where this is the case and it just has to get negotiated. Um, yeah. You will find some DSOs that have it the other way where they say, we can't terminate you and you can't terminate us for the first hmm. five years. Yeah. Um, there's always the in-between where it's after a few years, um, either party may terminate. There's also the, hey, we can terminate you, but we'll give you a severance. And hmm. in some some deals that's enough for the seller and some it's not. The, the severance yeah. doesn't make any sense. So there's everything in between. But the most extreme, which we do see quite often, is doctor can be terminated at any time. And the other thing, too, is that termination of employment can trigger a lot of other things in the deal, including what happens with the doctor's equity. Hold on. Before you go down the path of the triggers, and I will come back to that because that's super important. I just want to ask like a pie chart. I'm the accountant, right? I'm thinking in Excel spreadsheets, what percentage of deals, um, how big of the pie is, is, is it the situation where a doctor is basically given the ultimatum? Yeah, you are going to sign this associate agreement and we can fire you if we don't like you or you're not doing good work or, or for whatever reason, uh, but you can't quit. Is this, you said a majority of the, or much of the time you see that, is that 50% of deals, 25% of deals, 99% of deals? Like how common is that? I would say it's it's about 50% of the time. 50-50. And then the other 50, I would imagine it's going to be all over the place in terms of, um, well, after two years, we can have a mutual quitting or firing, or you know, if we do fire you, there's a, a severance and some of the, the subtleties. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And the 50% number is representative of what the document says to start with. Um, after negotiating it, you know, a lot of the time you can negotiate some things to where the ultimate percentage is lower than 50, but that's where it starts. If you were to sign the documents the way you get them to begin with. So, and I, I pulled you off track. Let me put you back on track. You were saying um, that firing of a doctor, doctor leaving the DSO is super, super important because it triggers lots of other things. Like what? So the termination of employment often will trigger the repurchase of equity mm. uh, from a DSO. Not always. There are some DSOs where you retain your equity as a doctor, even if your employment terminates. But I would say the majority of the time, if you're looking at percentages, I would say 75% of the time when your employment terminates, your equity is repurchased. So and the equity is the next two episodes. So if you're listening and wondering, what is David talking about? What does he mean equity? Well, we'll tell you. It's coming. Okay, keep going. 
Yeah. So that that's kind of the main trigger that you will you will see. Um, and so it's important from the standpoint of that. But then also what we already talked about, which is just yeah. being able to, to stay in your own practice. The, uh, there's one other tie that I want to talk about, and that is to any type of earnout. We've talked on previous episodes about earnout and enterprise value. Well, if your employment terminates and you have an earnout, it could in some cases make you lose the opportunity to get your earnout. Like it's not unheard of to see an employment agreement say, you know, the earnout's only applicable if you're employed and then they can terminate at any time. So that's a huge problem. Um, but also, even if it says that the earnout still will go, if the practice hits the numbers, whether you're there or not, you as a doctor aren't there to control your own destiny to make sure that you get the earnout. And so a lot of doctors don't like that. So needless to say, termination is pretty major. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sure makes sense why this was at the top of the list when it comes to uh, doctors' concerns and things. You briefly mentioned kind of you know how duration. I'll call duration. It's the uh, how long the doctor stays and works for the DSO. You said, yeah, sometimes three years, most of the time it's five. That one, I get the sense that five years is, is like, you know, uh, most of the pie chart <laughs> of the, the Excel uh, pie chart in Brian's head, 90 plus percent. But maybe I'm off base. Like, give me a sense of the percentages of deals where you see, you know, uh, three years, five years, anything longer than five years. What, what do you see as most common? You nailed it. I would say 90 percent of the time it's five years. Okay. No less. Yep. Perfect. So it is possible to do three years, but don't count on it is the short version. Correct. Like the situation we would see a lesser period of years be okay would be, for instance, a group practice where there's one doctor that wants to retire in two years and, you know, they're not going to, you know, the the other doctors don't want them derailing the whole deal. So they come to an agreement with the DSO that that doctor is an exception and they can just have a two year employment or something like that. You know, um, that's usually the case. Okay, nice. All right, uh, t- that's uh, termination and duration. Um, man, you're but I, one, one other quick comment yeah, on that I will say is that it just popped in my head is that um, it is extraordinarily more rare for a doctor that's younger and still has a lot of career ahead of them to get anything less than five years. Really, when we're seeing the less the less than five years, it's typically be a doctor who is going to end practicing dentistry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, hey, you're you're 38 years old. Why are you trying to negotiate for three years? Like, don't you? Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, you're just going to open up a, a competing practice next door or, you know, right side of the restrictive covenant or whatever. OK, yeah, that makes sense. Um, OK, pay. Every doctor wants to know pay. And by the way, David, before I opened my practice, I had a deal with my employer and I had 37 percent of product or not even production, right? 37 percent of collections. And I got you know, lab fees paid for and everything else. And I'm not taking a penny less than that. And, you know, so what do these conversations sound like around pay and what's most common? Yeah, I think the biggest thing uh, is for a doctor to understand that when you sell, you relinquish some of the benefits. And one of the benefits is being paid like you used to be. Um, It doesn't mean that you're not going to be paid a fair percentage. Um, but usually it's somewhere in the, you know, 30% of collections or, or production range. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not a specialty practice. And the other thing to keep in mind is that there's an enterprise value, which again, you go back to our previous podcast, you will yep. hear about enterprise value. What the DSO does is they create an enterprise value for the entire deal. And 
the pay as an associate is part of that. So if you were to go to the DSO and say, I need to be paid 33% instead of 30 or 35 instead of 30, they'll just say, okay, cool. So where is it going to come off in the other part of this deal? Are we yeah. going to take it off the rent on your lease when you're leasing it back as landlord to us? Are you going to take it off the purchase price? What do you want to do? But it's all, you know, they underwrote the deal for a certain dollar amount and that's what, that's what it is. So I think there's two components. One, it's part of the enterprise value of the deal. But number two, to just understand in general that you're not going to make as much money on an ongoing basis as you did when you owned the practice, but you took money at closing that, you know, supposedly makes up for that. So there's a trade off there. Yeah. Okay. So if you can mentally wrap your head around, um, your brain, I mean, it's, it's like an ego hit for these doctors. Like, oh man, you know, I was, and I would imagine one, two, four years after I've sold to a DSO, you're golfing with somebody uh, who's, you know, an associate still somewhere and they're technically making more than you as an associate, or at least on a percentage basis. And you're, you're not necessarily remembering the feeling of that uh, DSO check sitting in your bank account. You're just comparing, well, he's at 35% and I'm at 30. That's not fair. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting you say that because that's actually a rub that's occurred recently a few times where the doctor that sold is being paid post-closing less than the associates in the practice. Yeah. And right. it's because the practice wants to incentivize those associates to stay because yeah. it needs them. So it'll pay them 35% or whatever, but it pays the doctor 30. And then they have to explain that's the enterprise value of the deal. Yeah. So yeah, it is, it, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. The enterprise value thing is hilarious to me as an accountant. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Dentists uh, that are master clinicians that can do amazing things with teeth that I can't do. Sometimes they don't get this, right? They don't get, uh, if if I'm getting you know eight x EBITDA, well, th- don't forget the EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, everything. In earnings, if you take a higher salary, go down. So your your giant check that you want um, is just going to get smaller if you take a higher percentage as the associate pay. Okay, yep, yeah, I, uh, I that makes perfect sense. All right. So, okay. Uh, by the way, how much uh, more would a specialist uh, expect to get if it's around 30 for a GP or, or a, you know, or specialist 35, 40, or is it just like, yeah, 30, I would say the specialist 40. is 35, 40. Okay. All right. Perfect. Okay. Let's talk about time off benefits and schedules. Um, in addition to pay, any associate contract is going to introduce the topic of how much time can I take off? What are my hours like? Is this something that gets all pre-negotiated? Like, is it in contract form or, or, or is some of it in contract form and some of it's just up to conversations now with your future bosses? Like, what's what's actually in the contract? So the first thing, you know, as a message to the DSOs out there is that no doctor wants to have lesser benefit than <laughs> they had when they owned the practice. And particularly vacation. Vacation is a sacred thing for doctors. They knew how to get it done, even while taking vacation. They had successful practices and they don't want to take less. And mostly in, in every circumstance, the DSO will agree to give the doctor as much vacation as they previously had. Okay. Um, it just doesn't always show up in the contract initially. And mm. it's important for your lawyer to go through and just make sure that it aligns with what your actual vacation you take is. Um, as far as other benefits are concerned, they're going to be subject to what the plan is of that DSO. For instance, health insurance, uh, 401ks, you know, that they're going to have a plan uh, in their business manual about what 
they're offering. And that's typically what they're going to offer. Your LOI as a, as a doctor might say you're going to get X, Y, and Z benefits. And then you wonder why that's not in the agreement. It's because they have to be fluid with these benefits and, ha- and have the ability to change them. And in fact, the more practices they get, probably the better those benefits are going to get. So most cases they change for the better, but they can't be in breach of contract for saying you're going to get, you know, mm-hmm. blank benefit. And then they need to change it across the board because they can't change it for like one and not the others. And so they want to stay consistent. They want to stay fluid. And that's why a lot of times the actual specific benefits are not going to be in the doctor's employment agreement um, other than, you know, the vacation typically is. Um, so, you know, just as a doctor, as a heads up, you know, that's something that is sacred to many of you, but you have to understand that the employment agreement is probably not going to guarantee it because the benefit plans can change. And you just have to know that if they give horrible benefits, no one's going to want to do business with them. And, you know, that's what you have to lean on. Vacation's probably going to be in. An LOI might mention other things like health insurance, 401k, I don't know, gym memberships or things like that. But I probably won't see them in my final employment contract. And I just need to get comfortable with that as the doctor. Was that a fair summary? That's a fair summary. Okay, perfect. Or if they're there, it'll say they're subject to change at, at the employer's discretion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, it's scary, welcome, you know, I mean, welcome back is. to the world of employment, right? And, right. and, um, that's what every employee deals with is at any time your employer can drop health insurance or drop 401k benefits or something like that. And when that happens to every other employee in the U S they go find a new job. And so, uh, part of the cost of selling to a DSO is a loss of control. And, and this is one of the things you're losing control over. Exactly. Right. Got it. And also, Got it. too, as a doctor, a lot of our doctors are concerned about their staff and the and the benefits that their mm. staff are going to get. Yeah. And they really want to fight tooth and nail for them. Just know that the legal agreements are between you as a doctor and the DSO and the staff aren't, you know, they're not parties to these agreements. And so to have any type of language in your agreement as a doctor about what they do for the staff is not going to be relevant. It's not going to be in there. So the best way to make sure the staff is taken care of is to make sure that their contracts Yep. say what uh, they want them to say before you decide to go through with the deal. Uh, you know what? Brilliant. I, I have to admit, I didn't think about that, but your staff is going to have all kinds of questions and this is going to be a sticky one. Well, you know, Dr. Cohen, you tell them you're selling to a DSO. Congratulations. Where, where is it in my contract that I keep my health insurance? I don't see it. And you're going to be chair side, you know, working on teeth going, oh, well, they'll probably be there, you know, and you're trying to explain this and your staff may have some angst and that's going to be part of the loss of control. Yeah, it's it's a major point. And and also, um, you know, most of these DSOs do the right thing. Yeah. But there are some that don't. And it's a little bit mind boggling that they would come in and think that they could offer less for the staff and still get the same, either the, still get them being there to begin, yeah. you know, they may leave. And if they don't leave, um, they're not going to get the most out of them probably. Well, that, that to me would be a clue as a dentist, right? So if I, if I own my dental practice and I'm considering selling to this DSO, if a DSO kind of walks in and says, yeah, we're thinking about cutting some benefits. We think you're being a little too generous here. That may make sense on a spreadsheet, right? I might, I might save some costs and that's going to boost some profits and, down the road, theoretically, I could sell the private equity at a higher multiple, blah, blah, blah. 
forgetting, and, and that's long-term, but maybe short-term gain for long and short-term loss. The loss being uh, increased staff turnover. A lot of the value of a dental practice is locked up in the relationships at the front desk, the relationship with the hygienist. Um, and if those people walk out the door and go find another job somewhere else, uh, that dental practice is now theoretically and the DSO now are theoretically worthless. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. So that might be a clue to me on the priorities of this DSO. Are they are they quote unquote doing it right as as Brian defines it, or are they you know more spreadsheet focused? Okay, absolutely. And a reminder as a doctor that on occasion, rarely the DSO will agree to hire the staff mm-hmm. with the same at a minimum the same you know benefits and pay as they had prior. Um, first of all, they're probably always going to do it. It's just a question of, are they going to actually put it in the legal contract and bind themselves to that? And then they find out someone committed a felony and they don't want them anymore, but they promised you in the contract, they'd keep them. And then, yeah. you know, they're in breach. So it's a whole thing, but occasionally that will be the case, but you're just not going to get a DSO as a, as a seller in most cases, that's going to absolutely 100% guarantee it, particularly for a longer, for a long period of time. And so you have to know that when you sell your practice, just like you as a seller, if you were the buyer, you'd want control. You just paid millions for a practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to want to call the shots. You're going to want to do the right thing. And if you're smart, you'll keep the staff. And you'll do everything that was successful before. But you have to understand the other, the other side of this. And that, again, when you sell, you do relinquish some things. And that's one of those things that you relinquish. So you want to partner with a great partner that you trust and that you feel is aligned with you. And that's going to do the right things after the closing. Okay, makes sense. All right, so David, to wrap up, we uh, we talked about termination duration, talked about pay, and then we talked about benefits, vacations. Um, you know what is typical and what to expect. Any last words of wisdom around the psychology of this uh, for the doctors? Anything? I mean, we've kind of talked throughout, uh, but any any last pitfalls or common mistakes you see people make on any of these issues? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest piece of advice for a doctor is to not assume that what you've talked about with the DSO mm-hmm. or even what you've seen on your LOI is going to be what's reflected in the legal agreements. Mm-hmm. And it's not always because they're trying to slip something past you. It can often be a miscommunication between the DSO and their law firm that they're using. Maybe the law firm never got the information, whatever it is. And that shouldn't happen, but the reality is it does. And so don't immediately assume that it's a catastrophe. You know, we recently just had a doctor who was very clear that they were not going to be involved working in the practice after the closing. Um, and that was like the whole like foundation of the deal. And you get the employment agreements and it like says that she's working, you know, 30 hours or something like that in the practice and she freaks out and understandably so, but at the same time, while it shouldn't have happened, uh, there's not usually bad intent behind it. There's just the message wasn't passed along. So the biggest piece of advice is, A, don't assume. So you definitely want to get your contract reviewed by your lawyer. But B, if it is not the way that you had talked about with the DSO, don't freak out. Get on the same page because oftentimes the DSO did intend to follow the terms that you guys agreed to. Um, and so you know that, that would be my biggest piece of advice with this. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, dude, thanks so much. Uh, listeners, um, if you find value in this, uh, reach out to, uh, we'll have David's contact information, my contact information in the show notes of every episode. You can reach out to us. 
we'll have email addresses, websites, things you can go to. But um, in our next episode, we are specifically going to talk about the equity piece, right? This equity post-sale. Um, sometimes it's called the second bite of the apple, you know, the, uh, and anyway, I can't get in, can't wait to get into it. We're going to spend two episodes talking about it. David, thanks for being a part of the DSO decision. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the next one. This is awesome.